Hello and welcome back to the Football Index podcast, episode 128. And today I'm rejoined by Tactics Nick. You've had a rebrand since you were last on the show. Yeah, um, I started doing the threads and they kind of went down pretty well. So I took some advice and people thought it was doing well. So I thought I'd go really down that route and just make a brand out of it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you remind people of your Football Index journey and tell everyone a bit more about yourself? So I started on Football Index back uh, back end of the World Cup, like a lot of people seem to do. I seem to have gradually pick things up over time and done reasonably well for it. Out of uh, sometimes you you do it through luck, sometimes it's through skill. The end goal was sort of trying to make a bit of money for a wedding, and that's uh, that's where we're at now. Nice. And where did all the tactics stuff come out from? Is that something you've done in the past, coaching, etc.? I'm just a grassroots coach, nothing spectacular, but I've always sort of been interested in the tactical side of the game and really understanding why things happen rather than just who scored, who assisted, looking a bit deeper into it and seeing why that happens. And that has kind of been enhanced by coaching a junior team the last three seasons. You get a bit more into it and really try and pass on what you can to the kids. So you need to know more than the kids, otherwise you end up looking a bit daft. That's awesome. And like, when did you start using that kind of tactical ability on the index? It's something that I think has always sort of been there ever since I started. And sometimes it would hold me back and I would see reasons not to buy people rather than reasons to buy people. And then sure enough, they'd fly up and you'd think, oh, I've got that wrong. But over time, you get to learn when it can help you and when you just need to be patient and wait for something to happen and wait for everyone else to sort of figure out what you were thinking all along. At the start, that doesn't really happen. You get impatient and you don't have that patience to wait for it to come to fruition. But as you get more experienced and you, you learn more, um, I think it definitely helps more. You can sit on a hold and just and be confident in yourself that you know it's going to figure out in the end. And you know, when someone changes position or a manager changes shape, do you often, do you see you're holding in someone, do you buy someone straight away or do you tend to wait until that kind of new regimen or new kind of philosophy or, or new system is is really firm in a manager's thinking. For example, you know, famously Antonio Conte was, was 3-0 down at the Emirates and went to five at the back for the first time that season. Would that have been something that you looked at straight away or would you have looked at the next couple of games to, to wait and see if they continue using that system? Yeah, I think you definitely get the you can see that straight away, you can see a change, you can see a different system being implemented or someone used in a different role. You can see that, but you've got to, I think you've got to hold out for, for at least three games and see if it was just a one-off. It might have been a tactical reason for that particular opposition. It might have been personnel that were or weren't available for that particular game that led to a change. Really, you want to see whether that works out over two, three, four games and whether that is a new plan going forward or whether that is just a one-off for that particular opposition and a particular plan that they've got for that game. That's right, isn't it? You don't want to be kind of done football index-wise by a, a manager changing tactics just once or twice. But I think we're going to get stuck into a lot more of that in the future. We've got a few miscellaneous questions to get us started with. This is both, what are some of your tactics to keep yourselves busy through this pandemic period? Personally, I'm down the Marie Kondo rabbit hole. That's from F-I-Y-N-W-A, you'll never walk alone. For me, I'm still working, so I'm working from home. That's going to sort of keep most of my day busy. Weekends, I've got a garden that needs desperately sorting out. We've been in this house about four years now, and it's still not sorted, so that needs sorting out. But probably... Gardens seem to be the things that are just put off by a lot of people. Yeah, I need a gardener, to be honest. 
Um, but I have also downloaded Football Manager in the last few days, which is going free on websites. So that might mean that the garden doesn't get anywhere near done. <laughs> That's what I've been getting my uh, teeth sunk into. Football Manager, bit of Call of Duty, dusted off the PlayStation. Honestly, I picked up a, a PlayStation controller about a week ago and it had actual dust on it. <laughs> and I've been getting stuck into that. And yeah, just carrying on working from home, podcasting, etc. I've been keeping myself busy doing that and I'm hoping everyone is staying safe. If you need people to talk to, just you know, tweet someone in the community, even if you think it's weird. Sometimes it feels better to talk to people that you don't really know about issues that are going on, right? Which is definitely interesting, but it's just kind of how humans work, I guess. It's definitely worth doing difficult times out there at the minute and anyone you can talk to just help figure through that, you know, get through it and come out the other side hopefully sooner rather than later on the football side of things if you've got Sky the 100 club on Sky is uh, it's on at the moment and they're pretty good people who've scored 100 goals they in the are. Premier League and sometimes you just forget how good some players were you yeah. know you see some oh. of the pitches they're playing on and you just think when you see a pitch now and it's just perfect it's like a bowling green and you think how did they score some of the goals and play some of the football yeah. they did on those horrific pitches another favourite of mine's Premier League years a lot of those are on YouTube as well so if you want to check them out the quality's not great but they are really good Really, really good. Yeah, time flies. I mean, I was talking to someone about Ronaldo's amazing season that year in, in 08 for, for United, but it was the season that he scored the famous Portsmouth free kick 12 years ago. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, Premier League years. I think I watched all of those while I was at uni, so I'm probably just a couple of seasons behind now. <laughs> We've got a question here from Penguin. What are Nick's thoughts playing with a... <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Rom Duta, Engarche, Winger and Classic number 9. Yeah, I think Penguins already been on the football manager too much. <laughs> Their phrases I have never heard before until I started playing football manager. But I had a quick look into it. A Ram Dutour is effectively a number 10. Plays okay. in the hole. Doesn't really go anywhere but between the lines of the back four and the midfield. Back three, however many it might be. But just in that typical number 10 position. Doesn't really float around from there too much. The Engash, if that's right, Engashe, <laughs> is basically a wide player that drifts in off the wing. Okay. Essentially, a free roll from the wing rather than a free roll from the number 10 position. Your winger is obviously just a winger. Get out wide, stay out wide. And the classic number nine playing off the last man. How you get on playing with that system, with those three and the classic number nine, I think you'd probably struggle in the sense that you've got a lot of people just doing whatever they want there. <laughs> you yeah, need some probably. sort of structure in any team something that sits behind that sort of allows the, the more expressive players to do what they want I think there you've probably got too many people just yeah doing whatever they want going wherever they want yeah usually if, if teams do that they don't have that number 10 do they they have that kind of block of three whether it's uh, how Liverpool do it or how uh, Napoli sometimes do it just letting those front three basically do what the fuck they want which is uh, not the worst thing to do sometimes it can work if those players are good enough but i'm sure we're going to have a lot more football related conversations throughout the duration of this episode but just before that i need to plug index gain who are a third-party data provider for football index and you're a massive fan aren't you nick you're always on there yeah i am unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> yeah just the tools are, are brilliant to use it backs up some of the tactical stuff that you can find or see and you can just have a look into the numbers and see if that if that's backed up by the, the statistics and uh, that's a real sort of usage point for me is really seeing if what you think you see is backed up in stats and then specifically in this case football index stats 
Yeah, I think it's fantastic. And the community is amazing on Slack. And yeah, as you mentioned, some of the tools that they provide are just fantastic for Football Index traders in times where there is PB or not PB as we are currently in. Even then, it's just nearly essential at this point. And you can use the code FIG2020 for £5 off your first month. But that's not all. If you go for their semi-annual plan, you get a month free and then another five quid on top of that with the FIG2020 code. That's over on indexgame.co.uk. It's, it's fantastic. Go check it out. And the latest episode of the Fitcast Extra went out on Friday with Sporting Panda, who's a big fan of your work, Nick. I hope everyone's enjoying that. And the latest video on YouTube was Football Index FIFA and Chill alongside Matt FI Trader. We got some positive feedback, so I think we're gonna we're gonna keep on doing those through these kind of indoors times that we're we're living in currently. Got loads of questions though, Nick. So many. Probably going to have to cull a few as we go along because it will take too long. I mean, a couple for me, I'm going to ask all my guests that come on. What have you made of the market since COVID-19 was kind of introduced in, well, not introduced, but made aware to the public and kind of spread throughout the UK? I think first and foremost, Football Index have done a pretty good job keeping the market stable-ish. They obviously had to put the spreads on that they put on. Otherwise, I think we'd be a lot worse off all around and that's everyone. And since then, it's been pretty flat. And I think that is because of the spreads people reluctant to trade without being able to get out as easily as they previously could do. But that is sort of the nature of where we are in the in the world at the moment. And I would rather it was that way than we don't have a product to trade on. I think the world is kind of been put on pause to some extent. I mean, we're seeing economies really struggle with this on the whole. You know, there are interest-free loans being offered out to businesses just so that they stay afloat. People are being paid in America, for example, where every citizen is receiving $1,000, which is crazy. I don't know how long that is supposed to last them. I don't really know the intricacies of that. In the UK, obviously, we're seen to announce, I think, how self-employed people are going to be able to claim money throughout this ordeal. People that are employed, obviously, a lot of them will be eligible for the 80% scheme up to two and a half grand a month. It's kind of all hands on deck for every government, every country, every company. And I think a lot of people underestimated the, the, the kind of gravity of the scenario, but also underestimated how tied Football Index's hands must be in this current climate. Yeah, and I think that the created sort of a stable market, at the very least in this environment, is a positive thing. And yes, we might not be making as much money month on month as we, we have done previously, but I would rather that we kept a sort of stable, a stable market that, that's still there in a few months' time. And then once we do get cracking with the football again, hopefully we start to see the figures that we've seen before. But until then, we need to make sure that that is still available when that time comes, when the football does come back. Yeah, I definitely think so. And I think until we get confirmation of when football comes back, and, and this isn't kind of like a, we're stopping Premier League games until the end of April, which is what Premier League is at all the beginning of May, the 1st of May. It is kind of like a, when we see footballs on, on a pitch, isn't it, Nick? Until that happens, until we have a firm date of when something will happen, and that's not always we're thinking about this date, it's, it's when, when that ball's kicked, then until then we are going to be in sort of a bit of a state of, of flux with, with the market. And until we really see something happen on a football pitch, I'm prepared for that to happen. I'm quite happy with that. And we'll stick it through. We'll, we'll get through till, till the next time we're playing football. We've got a few questions about the announcement moving on. And obviously, Football Index have had to be very proactive and both reactive to the world around them, obviously, with kind of things changing day by day. What were your thoughts on today's announcement? Were we expecting more than 33% more than last year's media madness? 
I think 6-4-3-1 would have been better. Yes, four places. And that's from Scott Barber underscore Football Index. What were your thoughts when you saw it, Nick? Not a great surprise, really. I think they had to do something to try and stimulate a little bit more trading for their own sake. And I think actually pushing the deadline back rather than the five places will probably do more for that than paying five places rather than three or four in this case. It'll just give people that little bit more opportunity to get in and out of players via the market rather than being stuck or having to instant sell at big spreads. But in general, I think, as just said really, football index need to look after themselves as well. It's it's all well and good thinking that they should have done X, Y and Z and kept the double dividends and etc. But we also don't want them to bankrupt themselves by trying yeah. to keep up with what some traders want. I think it's, you know, as I said, we're in the situation we're in globally. And it makes sense that we just sort of keep things going even if that means it's reasonably flat until we get to a point where, where football comes back. I saw some really questionable things, I guess, on the timeline in, in regards to the announcement, and I saw some really good stuff. So I'll read the, the good stuff because I want to stay away from the negativity. I saw FI analyst actually on Index Gain write something really good. I don't know if you saw this, Nick. He basically said double dividends from the 10th to the 3rd, so that's 24 days, 10p, 6p, 2p, that's 18p per day. 18p times 24, that's £4.32. Media, five places, fourth to the 30th is 26 days. 5p, 3p, 1p, 1p, 11p per day. 11p times 26, that's £2.86. Yes, there's a significant difference, but there's a consistent payout for an extended 26 days. The difference likely represents the fact that we're currently in an unprecedented time with an unknown end date and FI cannot overstretch themselves. This media five places period could well be extended. It could be reduced again due to the need to not overstretch if the date for football returns were pushed further back from 30th of April, something many people in and around football and sports believe is actually likely. This is good business sense from Football Index. We're investing in Football Index. This is good. That's a, a kind of alternative way of looking at it, right? Like if FI overextend themselves and put them themselves as a business at risk, it doesn't really bode well for anyone, right? 100% agree with what he was saying. And I read that at the time he posted it on Index Gain and it makes complete sense. The uncertainty as well with possibly having to extend it means they just need to keep a little something up their sleeve as, as well, I think, and not be scraping the barrel if football's pushed further back. If football came back sooner or later, there'd be more announcements. Like, this is something that FI are taking clearly day by day, week by week, month by month, as we're seeing as these short-term announcements trickle in. It's only natural that some are going to be higher, some are going to be lower. They can't just periodically increase the payouts, can they? It's, it's impossible, you know. Say if football comes back in August, would you expect Football Index to increase dividends every month until that date? Like, no, it's, that's just not really the way it works. The one thing I will say to a lot of people that were moaning and kind of questioning this was, Football Index didn't do themselves any favour with the kind of communications on this one, did they? Because they called it a, a big announcement and I don't know if you'd call it like a big announcement. I was speaking to a few people, Nick, that the nuance in using certain language is, is very powerful. You know, we're talking about Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister recently, using the words such as you shouldn't go outside unless you have to. And now it's been turned into you cannot. And that kind of nuance is making sure a lot of people are staying in. Now, with Football Index, we're in a position where they have a lot of power now to affect and sway the market. Do you think they need to be more careful when they use certain vocabulary? I think generally, Football Index had a tendency to overhype announcements on the whole. 
and I'm always a bit nervous when they start hyping things up that they're not going to live up to the expectations. I personally would rather see less build-up and a better offer or perceived better offer than a lot of build-up and then you build it up so far that actually the reality of it always struggles to live up to it, even if it's a really good announcement. The perception and the sort of pre-mindset of people is completely different depending on, like I said, the language that's used. I would much prefer a a softer build-up and then a bigger announcement, or at least that's the way it appears because it's not being built up so much. Yeah, I think that's the important thing, isn't it? A lot of people have reacted to this as it being a perceived bad offer, not an actual bad offer in itself. Yeah, and I think that's because the expectations going into it were built up. It's happened in previous announcements as well, and then they kind of got a bit of a handle on it. And then that's, you know, this was the same sort of thing as well. And I can understand they want to keep the excitement around the index. Mm. But the, the announcement has got to live up to the hype that they give it. And if they overcook it, no matter how good the announcement is, it would be perceived to be worse than what it maybe actually is in reality. Do you think they should actually leave that much room to breathe for these announcements? Because they announced that they'd be doing something for this Tuesday last week. That gives people a bit of time to kind of speculate. And the longer that period of time is, the more likely you're going to have people disappointed because they're going to use their imaginations to think about what will be happening. You only have to go on the timeline to see some of the things that people dream up and then they become almost the expectation. And obviously, as traders, we build up the best possible picture. Mm. And so people get that idea of the best possible picture into their mind, and then the actual announcement, as I said, perceives to be not as good. We've spoken probably on the, on the negatives there for a little bit. There was still, for me, a, a slight sense of entitlement, though, from the community as a whole. I don't know if you acknowledge that also, Nick, but it, it just felt a bit maddening to me that if I, if you take the actual double dividends out they've increased the payouts in a time where as we've mentioned before we are in an unprecedented situation we are in a situation that has not been seen in in most of our lifetimes before so how could we expect anything different or anything more i would always recommend people just take themselves out of their situation put themselves in football index's situation imagine you're adam cole and imagine what would you be doing business-wise, in their situation, rather than thinking of your own pocket, thinking of what their perception of everything is, what they need to look after as well to ensure that things keep moving forward. And sometimes the two things are a long way apart between what traders think should happen. In reality, what is happening in the business world from their perspective as well. Yeah, definitely. I really think, and I'd implore everyone to listen to the last Vidcast Extra that we did where we had ASP dial in. I don't know if you listened to that one, Nick, but the explanation of FI's business model, I think we went into that more than I've done on any other podcast before. And I've got a video on my channel called How the Football Index Make Money. I think people, if they do anything during this downtime period where they might not have to go to work or they're working from home and they're spending the weekends indoors, try and really wrap your head around how football index make money and understand that with that in mind, that the context of what is going on in the outside world is currently that a lot of companies are sinking. They're failing to tread water. They're having to borrow excruciating amounts of money to stay afloat. They're having to cut loads of jobs, cut variable expenses. This is something that is affecting every single company in the world. You know, I was looking at even my, my dad and I were talking, you know, uh, Zoom, the conferencing software that we're using right now, Nick, even there, 
stock has fallen since this is unveiled. You're talking about a company that is effectively unaffected by this. You know, this is a technology company that uses video conferencing and audio conferencing. It specializes in remote stuff and I'm sure their servers, they've actually got more work on. But even their company value has decreased. Like people are not really understanding the situation that we're in, are they? No, and I think just always would recommend just taking a step back and really thinking from all sides of the, the picture, whether it's from your own perspective, the company's perspective, more of a global perspective in this case of what's happening and really just, just take five minutes and think about it before you start posting something that, that you might think is right in the moment. But if you actually step back and really think about it from everyone's perspective, it maybe doesn't make as much sense as when you write that tweet. For sure, for sure. Um, I've got a question here from FI Gardner. Without being too negative, are you at all concerned traders will pull money out during the lockdown as money gets tighter? I was previously. I think the government announcement on paying people at least 80%, even if they're not working, eased a few of those fears. Um, Obviously, if people weren't working and weren't being paid and potentially being laid off, that would have been something I was concerned about. That seems to be less likely now. Don't get me wrong, I still think there will be a a bit of a tightening up of belts around the country for everyone, and that might have a slight impact, but nowhere near as what it possibly could have been if we'd have been left to sort of fend for ourselves without any, you know, the government stepping in with this 80% payment if you're not working due to the circumstances around the coronavirus. Yeah, for sure. And I think it is, as we talked about a little bit before, about what governments have been doing. And that is a reflection on kind of like them wanting to stabilise everything economically. So it's the same thing that FI have been doing essentially to the market, I guess, as the market maker. They don't want money to be pulled out of the platform, of course. And I do think that people shouldn't be gambling more than they can afford to lose. People should always have funds that they can fall back on. They shouldn't be overextending themselves. This is a gambling platform. This is not an investment. It's a bet. And I think people have blurred those lines a bit too much. And I'm hoping after this period that a lot of people will start to unblur those lines, if that makes sense, Nick. Yeah, this has been a bit of a wake-up call for me in that sense that I probably was slightly overextended. I always sort of had an end goal of withdrawing around most of the money around this sort of time anyway. But I think when something like this happens, it is a good chance to take stock and, and see where you are. And if you, you you are thinking, oh God, I've maybe got a little bit too much money in there, then this is maybe a little bit wake-up call that some people might have needed. On the flip side, it does also invigorate a lot of people to take opportunity when others can't. You know, we've seen a lot of people depositing as well as withdrawing. So to answer questions, I mean, it's hard to say. I don't want to say, no, there's absolutely no concern when this COVID-19 scenario could get a lot worse. Like I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist. So me and you can't sit here. We can talk about, you know, the pros and cons of playing 3-5-2 all day, but possibly not speculating on how this will get better, when it will get better, and how big a boom it will be when it does get better, if that makes sense. Definitely. There are opportunities out there without a doubt for people who have got the money to spend. I just think there's as much one way as there is the other, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's kind of like what I was trying to get across. Yeah, everyone is in a different situation. I think something else I've seen on the timeline is a lot of judgment on people's situations. Nobody quite knows where each person stands and what was the money they could spend yesterday, especially in this fast-moving environment that we're in at the minute. The money that they could have spent yesterday is maybe not the same as what they could spend today. 
and everyone has different circumstances, different reasons of why they're doing different things. And I think, if anything, we're just they're changing day upon day, aren't they? You know, if you're self-employed by Sunday when this goes out, you might be in a much better position than you were on the day that we're recording on Wednesday. So it's really hard to kind of like, as you said, you can't really judge anyone. And it's also hard for you if your kind of business is up in the air or you're relying on the government to help you soon to know what kind of financial position you're going to be in day by day because the scenarios are changing. Exactly. Cool. So, I mean, before we get into a lot more questions from the community, I just need to plug The Athletic. They're a subscription-based sports news site delivering in-depth sports coverage featuring football reporters you know and love like David Ornstein, James Pierce, Sam Lee and Rafa Honigstein. They're telling stories you won't find anywhere else and there's no ads or clickbait which is of course pretty awesome when you're trying to watch or listen to content i know that's very ironic considering i'm reading an ad currently while we're recording a podcast and if you want 50 percent off your annual subscription to the best sports writing around go to theathletic.co.uk slash fig and it's two pound 49 a month if you go for their annual deal nick anything that you know that costs more than uh two pound 49 i'm going to keep it topical Meat and chicken in particular, I funded high enough on chicken for tonight's tea and it cost more than £2.49 and enough hand sanitizer to get you through three weeks of lockdown. <laughs> You're a big fan of The Athletic, aren't you, Nick? Yeah, I actually dished out some free codes to people on Twitter and if anyone else has got those, I presume it's not something special to, to me, then I would encourage other readers who subscribe to get the codes out there and let people see what it's all about. Mm, I guess then after that sensational. free period, they can then use your offer as well, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. It's fantastic. It's brilliant. I'd definitely recommend anyone to go check it out and uh, and sign up if you're looking to read more about football, uh, some content to get you through this time. Really good value for money. We've got a load of questions here from Sporting Panda. Five favourite pairs of fullbacks Nick has seen in his lifetime. For example, Turam and Lizarazu, France 98 squad. I think that's slightly before my time, two years after I was born. Says, has the role of fullbacks increased in the last decade or has it always been pivotal for great teams? Oh, good question. France 98, so that was slightly before my time as well. I was eight at that point. But I have picked out a few pairs that I quite liked from probably the last, let's see, 15 years or so. So let's go with Cafu and Roberto Carlton, that Brazilian team. Mix of flair, just stylish football and probably the trendsetters for the attacking fullbacks on both sides just in that Brazil team that, that was just all about tall football and just playing with such enjoyment and passion really for the game. Next pairing, I've gone more recent, so obviously Trent, Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson. As a Liverpool fan, obviously you get to see a lot of those those guys playing and they've both got a well-rounded game, not just, I know Trent gets some stick for his defensive work, but I think that's come on a lot in, in recent times. Still an underrated defender, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. There's obviously always the comparison with Aaron Wan-Bissaka, who is yeah. probably a better defender, but is probably not as good going forward. So it's a 6 one half as the other scenario. And I think Robertson just flies under the radar with all the attention on Trent. A great pairing and both sort of equally good going both ways, in my opinion. Gary Neville and Dennis Irwin slash Patrice Evra. I've got all three of those disciplined and effective without ever being superstars in their team. The jobs they used to do probably went unnoticed. If you take Neville, for example, if you hear him talk about playing with Beckham, his only job was to get on the overlap and drag a defender away. They never wanted to give him the ball to cross it because why would you when you've got Beckham that can cross it? So what he did was not visible to everyone else, 
but actually played a really important part in giving Beckham the time and the space to cross it. And obviously the teams that they played in were, were super dominant, both with Erwin and Evera. So they get in there, despite being united. <laughs> and then Cafu gets another mention, this time with Maldini in that AC Milan team. You had obviously Cafu on one side uh, with the attacking sort of prowess and, and mixing that with the old school sort of real defensive stalwart in Maldini. That's sort of probably the pair that's got one side attacking and one side really defensive. That was a, a great team as well, the, the AC Milan team. So I got four. I didn't quite get five for Panda and Fred, didn't get five. I don't know whether you want to throw a fifth one in there. <laughs> I mean, as an Arsenal fan, I think Lauren and Ashley Cole. I mean, particularly Ashley Cole and that Invincibles team with that Perez and Thierry Henry, it was quite a scary left-hand side. I think if you were a right-back or right-midfielder on, on those days, you were kind of terrified throughout the game. I mean, I'm trying to think of others. I had Ashley Cole down on my list. I was just struggling to find him a, a partner, whether it was Ivanovic at Chelsea or, as you say, Lauren at Arsenal. I never really saw enough for Lauren to make a good opinion, but obviously Ashley Cole was one of the best left-backs in the world. Mm, I'm trying to think of others. I mean, Lahman Alaba at Bayern Munich. Do you know that 13 team that won the Champions League? They were obviously very good as well. I know Philip Lahm toggled between kind of right back and holding midfield. It was interesting how France used their fullbacks in their latest World Cup win. I mean, Benjamin Pavard, who's kind of more of a centre back, and even Lucas Hernandez. They kind of played four centre halves, and that was kind of interesting to see as well, wasn't it? In terms of kind of the modern day fullback being utilised in a slightly different way to allow the rest of your team a lot more freedom with uh, the Mbappes and the Griezmanns of this world. Yeah, I think that's something that probably will crop up later in the in one of the questions in terms of <laughs> how to, you know, the supporting cast around the main stars, I guess is probably the easiest way to phrase it. Yeah, let's put a pin in that one because I know you want to get into that with a bit more depth in a bit. Got a question from F.I. Lambings who was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, did very well. Top guest, what recent tactical revelation has had the biggest impact on a team's PB performance or players within that team, both positive and negative if possible? I think this is a really good question. Something that probably will, it's probably best to take a step back and, and really think about systems and the phases within the game and then the sort of signs that you can pick up on. Any change of system or any sort of difference in style will create winners and losers in terms of PB. And that is probably different depending on the team, the personnel, the system and how they play. So if we think specifically about systems, no two systems are probably ever the same, even though what you see on paper is the same formation. What the TV companies and people put on a piece of paper or on the screen is just really a conceptual arrangement of where the positions are going to be for, for ease, basically. So Liverpool and Man City both play a 4-3-3, but they play different systems within that 4-3-3. As you mentioned previously, the Liverpool midfield three is quite workmanlike, um, industrious, and the creativity comes from the wide players, whether that's the full-backs or the wingers. Whereas Man City obviously do have creative wingers and do have full-backs. Full-backs tend to be inverted, so they play more in front of the back two, two centre-backs. And two of their three midfielders are pretty much free and play like number 10s. So you De Bruyne, Silva... Foden if he gets in the side Bernardo Silva if he plays inside as well they could play just as a number 10 if he wanted them to but they tend to play with two eights and they're sort of free to go and create and do their thing in a different way but they're both 4-3-3 systems so like I said two systems could be the same on paper but played completely differently then if you look at the phases of play obviously your 4-3-3 on paper is like I said just a, a concept of how people think it should look 
because football's so fluid and the situations are determined by where the ball is on the pitch and more things than than you can sort of put in a formation down on paper. You basically have three phases of the game. In possession, out of possession and the transition. Your formation and your system will look completely different in each of those three phases of the game. Does that make sense? Mm, mm. So the three five two, for example, yeah, I did a thread on this with Leon in the Champions League against Juventus. And it's a system that I've coached quite a lot of with the team that I coach. If people want to check that thread out, it goes into more depth. But basically, 3-5-2 turns into a 4-4-2 out of possession. So if the ball's on one side of the pitch, the wing-back on the opposite side of the pitch will occupy the full-back position and create like a back four, while the other wing-back's pressing the ball. It's much easier to see visually, so if people want to check that thread out, it's on my Twitter. And as the ball switches side, then the roles of the wing-backs change. And then once again, they change again once they transition and they change again once they go in possession. So while you're playing a 3-5-2, you might be playing a 4-4-2, a 3-1-2-4 in possession. And then it could be a complete mash of that when the transition actually happens within the game. So the things then I look out for when, when people are asking, what do you sort of see and what would lead to a change in what you think they're doing? Anything that leads to more or less possession is going to be good for PB, in my opinion. Uh, sorry, to more possession is yeah. going to be good. Less possession, obviously bad. And anything that leads to an increased goal threat is going to be good. And anything that leads to a decreased goal threat is probably going to be bad. Another thread that was out there that I did um, was on Dortmund's change of system. They went to a 3-4-3 or a 3-4-2-1 uh, with Sancho and Dagen Hazard going more central. And the wing-backs then naturally get more of the ball. Sancho and Hazard get into more goal-scoring positions because they're in the centre of the pitch and closer to the goal. And obviously then the wing-backs are, are forced with the job of being in, in three or four different positions all the time, whether that's left-back, left-wing, left-midfield. The same on the right-hand side. So naturally that leads to them being in more um, situations where you can score points, more possession, more tackles, more attacking actions, crosses, shots, etc., assists. So they're the sort of things that I tend to look for if there's a change of system, who benefits in that system and why. And in terms of who benefits with more possession and an increased goal threat are the two sort of main things that I look for. Yeah, that's awesome. I think a lot of people have talked about goal threat and possession. We could go on all day about that, but I think there's loads of questions. So I want to give you as much time to go into as much depth as you did there onto the other questions. We've got a question here from FI Venture C. Given your knowledge and understanding of football tactics and therefore team player performances, do you think the PB matrix is suited and reflects the best performers? For example, are the likes of Kante, De Jong, etc. not reflected fairly on the matrix based on their tactical performances? Yes, I do think the matrix suits and reflects the best performers in general. Obviously, football is an attacking game, really. People want to see goals and assists. And also, that's, that's where the most expensive players are. With I know Dion cost about £60, £65 million, pounds, but Kante went to Chelsea for £30 million. Pounds. I don't know what he'd go for now, probably a bit more than that. But you wouldn't be talking about astronomical figures for holding midfielders. For a striker or for a winger, or even sometimes for a centre-half, as we've seen more recently, those prices are starting to go up. And I think FI have done a good job of kind of reflecting the value of players in the market in terms of how much they are on the platform. The PB bit therein might be a little bit to go, but it's certainly nearly there, I'd say. Yeah, I don't think we're too far away. And like, like I say, you want the people who are scoring goals, assisting, etc., to be sort of standing out that little bit more. 
I think that reflects how people view football anyway. But in terms of like how Kante, Dion, etc., Moto Kante in this example that I'm going to give, some of the jobs that they do and the things that they influence on the game aren't always measurable in a way that would suit a, a matrix, any matrix, and that will be probably forever. For example, let's say Chelsea are one that up with a minute left and Chelsea have a corner and they're going to get caught on the break. Kante nips in, makes a tackle, wins the ball and the breaks. You know, he's cut the ball out and the chance of a break is over and Chelsea end up winning 1-0. He obviously just gets the points for the tackle in that scenario, but really he might have just saved his team a point, two points, three points, however much it might be in the situation. So the context can't be applied to a scoring system. It might have been the most important tackle in the game, but that can't be applied in a scoring system. If you look at Virgil van Dijk coming in at Liverpool, the things that he's actually done as a side of being a good player is organise everyone else around him and makes other people look like better players. Even mm. Lovren looks half-decent when he plays <laughs> with him. Matip, again, he's had a great back end of last season. But if you put two of the the other three, Gomez, Matip and Lovren together, they don't look like the same players. But that's something you can't measure. It's impossible to sort of score that in any sort of way that would be reflected in a matrix. And that's life, I'm cool with that. It's never going to be perfect, is it? No, and these sort of things are getting more advanced, but it, it, it would be a few iterations away. I think the, the matrix from seeing some of the things that you could include that would maybe give those guys a little bit more of an edge. But some of the things that people bring to a football game that influence the game are just not really measurable. We've got a question here from Football Index Trader. How important would you rank the following in terms of player and strategy diversification? And how best do you advise weighting positional? i.e. percentage of each position in overall portfolio, PB versus MB balance, league, i.e. higher percentage of EPL, strategy, i.e. short, medium, long-term or transfer? It's a good question and it's not something that I tend to do in terms of be too strict on particular positions, particular leagues or short, medium and long-term strategies. I probably tend to have a mix of everything going on all at the same time. And in general, I think... If you restrict yourself to one particular thing like that or percentages in any particular area, whether that be a position or a league, you maybe turn down an opportunity that you could take because it doesn't fit with such a structured setup. Everyone has different time frames, how quickly they want to make money, how much risk they want to take, how much time they can dedicate to the platform. Finding your own strategy that works for you is probably more important to me than putting percentages or, or structuring your portfolio in such a way. There is one thing I read from DCA on Index Gain. It's on their blog. It was about building your portfolio like a pyramid, so really solid at the bottom with some sort of proven dividend winners, you know, making up the bulk of your portfolio and then get slightly riskier, but in smaller amounts as you build up the pyramid. And I think that's a really good way to visualise it and, and try and make the most of what you're doing. Yeah, I think this is kind of a how long is a piece of string question to some extent, isn't it? And I say that because everyone is going to have different strategies and everyone is going to have strategies that suit them better than others. When you're talking about EPL or other leagues, then you might have better expertise in certain leagues where you make more money in. Positional, again, like it doesn't really matter too much as long as it suits your personal trading strategy. And there might be scenarios where you shift from having loads of players from one league to another. Like none of these things are set in stone, are they? No, and I would say the only thing 
really and especially it's become more prevalent in the sort of more testing time that we're in at the minute is to is always sort of have an underlying value there the players that fall the hardest are the ones that don't or have less of an underlying value and the ones who are going to pick up the dividends and keep people ticking up when the market's relatively flat as we are at the moment are going to be the ones that, that are winning dividends just with the double dividends thing this month or part of this month I've had my biggest dividend month since I started and I think that's always maybe been forgotten about a little bit as we've enjoyed the riches over the last few months and for the guys who've been on longer the last few years but really now in this tough time when things have gone a different direction it just shows how important that is and I think hopefully we might have a bit more on that going forward in the future. Yeah you're completely right you're completely right and uh, I think we could talk a lot more about strategies and and so on and so forth but we do have a few more questions that I do want to get our teeth into we've got another question here from fi underscore you'll never walk alone can you provide some examples of teams I actually really like this question just as an aside tactics or systems which bias a certain position for bb and have you come across any players who have replaced well-known PB players, I can't say PB today, which is really annoying, who are injured and scored equally as well? Thank you. For the first part of the question, in terms of teams, tactics or systems, which buys a certain position for PB, I don't know if you want to give me a system or a formation and I'll try and have my best stab at which position I think is most <laughs> biased for it. We've talked a lot about 3-5-2, so why don't we start with that? Yeah, so 3-5-2... Anyone playing with wing-backs, they're probably going to have a lot of work to do and a lot of involvement. And one of the three midfielders in the five in midfield are probably going to be released to go and join in with the attacking phase of the game, while also joining in with the possession, so a reasonably high involvement and a, a decent goal threat as well if they're the one that's, that's released from the three to go and get in the box. So I would say either one of those three and just see if the team has a bias towards one particular player. Maybe they've got a decent right wing-back and not so good left wing-back, for example. Do you want to go into any other formations? Let's flip that round and go. Anything that's like a 5-3-2 or a 5-4-1 or a 4-5-1, probably if you're playing in that sort of formation, if you think of the teams that play them sort of ways, it's probably like a Newcastle is the one that springs to mind first and foremost. They will sit back, not have much possession, try and hit you on the break, and they might win games, but they're not going to dominate the ball throughout, which is kind of important for the PB side of things. So if you flip that the other way around and, and say which formations are you not going to get anything from in terms of PBR and more unlikely to get things from, anything where you set up to surrender the ball to the opposition, I would say, is always something else to look out for. Teams that are struggling will also probably tend to go in a more defensive route and try and nick a goal on the break or from a set piece or something like that. So that's always something else to look out for, I think. What about number 10s? I mean, some of them score really, really well and some of them don't score really well. The likes of Meza Ozil. I can think of as an Arsenal fan, doesn't really ever score very well, no matter what formation Arsenal seem to play. What types of number 10s seem to be doing better from a PV standpoint and what formations seem to breed the, the best out of them? Yeah, I would say number 10s are, are in the attacking positions. The, the first ones that spring to mind that, that do well are the ones that they're the main guy in that system and so they get a lot of the ball because the team just look to get the ball to them every opportunity. Obviously, Neymar is one of the best players in the world, but their system and first thought is always to get the ball to him. Same as when Eden Hazard was at Chelsea. It scored really well for PB because all Chelsea wanted to do was get him the ball because he was by far and away their best player. So whether it's a 10 or a wide man. What was the word for that floating wide man again? Was it Enchade? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> in Gache? In, yeah. In Gash? That sort of player, where they're the main focal point of the team, is probably the one to look out for. 
rather than a particular role or, or player, I guess. You know, rather than just saying, oh, he's a number 10, he's going to do well or he's not going to do well. If everything goes through the number 10, then that's a good thing, obviously. If he just sort of floats around and doesn't influence the game that much, doesn't get involved in the build-up play, for example, then they're probably not going to score as well. It's mixing that involvement with the goal threat, I think, that, that gives you the sort of magic. Yeah, certain formations always going to do far better. I mean, have you seen it, for example, with you know Liverpool, for example, with that 4-3-3 that they play? Their wide players stay really, really wide and, and don't necessarily tend to be as involved in the players as they do just because of how dominant the fullbacks are. They, they tend to sometimes even tuck inside when they're going forward and on the break, they stay quite wide. Can that be a detriment? You know, that 4-3-3 where those wingers have to kind of hold their positions a lot more? Yeah, and I mean, in Liverpool's case, you're looking at Salah and Mane being the two of the top scorers in the division over the last couple of seasons. So their, their contributions are not solely, but mostly based around goals. You don't see those two get involved in the, the build-up play so much. They're quite often just on the end of the chances that are created and putting the ball in the back of the net, which is obviously something that's required, but it doesn't put you in a good position for PB as much unless you're getting two, three goals a game. You know, goals aren't, aren't everything, and I think that's why I'm trying to get a, the mix of a goal threat and involvement in the build-up play being the, the key thing to really look for, I think. The other part of the question about injuries is something that quite interested me as well. If someone comes in from is a replacement for someone who's injured, they're probably not as good as the person that they're replacing, otherwise they'd be in the first 11 in the first place. And because they're probably not quite as good, the focus of the team and system probably switches to a different player. So to go back to Liverpool's example again, when Salah scored all them goals that season, everyone started double-marking him and making sure they stopped him. So the focus went somewhere else. That went slightly onto Mane, it's now come onto Trent instead. So when an injured player comes in, the focus of the team probably goes somewhere else. And another sort of key player is the focus of their team. So I wouldn't think that necessarily an injury would replicate PB regardless of who the player is. Other than in a system where the manager sort of is defined by their system. So I'm thinking in this case, Sarri at Juventus. His CDM is always going to be the key position for him. It was at Napoli with Jorginho. It was at Chelsea with Jorginho again. And then this season, obviously, Pjanic has been the main sort of key component of how he builds up his team. And that would be the only example I could probably think of as where it doesn't matter who the player is that's playing there because the manager is so reliant on that particular style. I think it's one of those things, isn't it? Especially, I was thinking about, as you mentioned, Sari, actually, there are also the intangibles that you have to think about, not only the, the tactical elements, right? Of course, Sari wants to keep possession a lot more, but there are certain players at Juventus, for example, Dybala, that haven't had minutes to actually showcase their PB potential. So is it sometimes a case that people lean too much into the tactical side of things? You know, Sari goes to Chelsea, everyone buys Chelsea players, but then doesn't realise X and Y players don't really play as much as they should have. Same with Juventus. I think we saw Pjanic rise a lot and he did win some PB at the start of the season, but then he ended up actually, he's been dropped recently and Dybala eventually as well has been kind of in and out the side. Is it very important to kind of think about the intangibles as well there? The things that you can't really measure and have to, I guess, predict a bit more with your gut and, and a bit more guesstimation? Definitely. It's always interesting when a new manager goes into a, a new club of whether they change or whether the, the club changes. Some managers will change to suit the personnel that they have and some will just say, this is the way we're going to play and, and it's tough. If you're not going to suit it, we'll get rid of you and we'll get someone else in. 
so it's always it's always interesting to see which way that goes because it has to go one way or the other unless the manager plays exactly the same way as the previous manager, which is, I guess, unlikely because otherwise, why replace him? We've got a question here from Kay Brown, Carl Brown himself, who's uh, making a lot of good content out there at the moment on uh, YouTube and on Twitter, of course. Check him out. In my opinion, PB scores can be enhanced by team style of play. Example, uh, Bayern, PSU's dominance, Leverkusen's passive passing, Liverpool's flying fullbacks. How do you believe this is due to a particular player's being great for PB or is it down to more the managerial styles for those respective teams? I think we're looking at this in terms of the suitability, in terms of talent. Most teams are going to structure their system around their most talented players. The style of play definitely impacts PB as we've sort of covered in a couple of the other questions. I don't necessarily think particular players are great for PB, but they're great within that system for PB. And so I guess that answers Carl's question in that is it down to managerial styles? I think yes is probably the answer. And most managers will build their team around their best players. That makes obviously the most sense. And then the PB that reflects that will be determined by that as well. So, you know, your best players generally will see most of the ball and therefore PB suitability is probably higher. Yeah, for sure. I think good players are always going to be more likely to be good at PB. There are outliers, of course, where a not-so-good player or a player that does something very specific or particular can also be good at PB, but that's certainly become less frequent after the last week on PB, isn't it? Yeah, I generally think, going back to the question about whether the PB matrix suits the best players, and I think this feeds into Kyle's question as well, whether it's down to the system or, or the manager, the better players will probably be better suited for PB. We've got a last couple of questions here, one from Robert Cheesewright. What advice on behaviours or processes would you give to traders who are looking to use tactical changes to seek out profit or avoid losses? Definitely, as we spoke about earlier, don't jump too early into a decision. Watch a few games, watch probably the whole game rather than the highlights and really see if what you think you're seeing is playing out over two or three games because in that time you probably will still be ahead of the market in seeing whether what you think you saw in the first game pans out over the, the next couple. And then think about when you see a tactical change that's a positive thing, like the Dortmund scenario we were talking about earlier. Again, just give it two or three games, see if they've done it for a particular reason or whether they stick with that throughout and if it continues to work before sort of jumping in too strong on anything. That's really good advice. I think just a lot of people are focused and, and obsessed with getting right in at the bottom, but sometimes the risk of trying to do that over and over again actually exposes you quite a lot, doesn't it? You can often be on the receiving end of some bad trades. Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, if, if you dive in on a player because you see one thing in one game and then the next game he's out of the team because he was in the team for a particular reason that suited the team they were playing against, you could be stuck with a player that doesn't then play again for three or four weeks. Okay, we've got a last question here from FI Jack. If all the players in your portfolio were put together in one team, who would you want the manager to be? Best for achieving PB scores, best for player development, etc. Take it however you like. So go on, take it however you like. I only had 10 players in my portfolio at the time he asked the question, so I was picking a player manager to make up to 11. <laughs> I'm going to go for, I think you can't see further than Pep, I don't think in that regard. Great manager, was a great player, could probably still do a little job for you now. <laughs> Given that number six, the roaming number six. And if you had to pick a manager, I think if I had 11 and we weren't talking about Pep and I was just picking purely a manager, I've got 
such a mix of players in there that I would have to have a tactically astute manager who would be able to set us up properly, given that I've probably got some players playing miles out of position. And we'd go for Rafa, I think. Interesting. And lucky with what he did at Newcastle, I think, to end up the way it did. It's a shame. Did you ever read his article in The Athletic? It was really interesting. Yeah, I've read a few of his pieces in The Athletic, actually. His opening one was really interesting. Was that specifically about Newcastle and how it all panned out there? Yeah, just basically how he uh, ended up going to China. It was super interesting. I think that was probably the end of his time at Liverpool as well. The board at that point and the cash situation at that point probably didn't give him what he wanted to have, and Saber, which was obviously the case at Newcastle. But a great manager, great tactically astute and what he, what he did with Newcastle during his seasons there, I think he did a cracking job. I think he'll go down as quite an underrated manager, won't he? When all is said and done. Probably not on Merseyside. Well, not on the red half of Merseyside anyway, but uh, maybe in the general footballing world, yeah. Mm. Well, Nick, I think we've gone over just nearly an hour and 10 minutes. I think I don't want to take any more of your time on a, on a Tuesday evening, even though with all the free time that we've got on our hands, we could probably go on for a couple more. Thanks so much for coming on. And where can people find out more about you and your tactical insights? No problem. I'm just going to make sure I get this right because last time I was on, I never knew what my handle was, but it is at tactical fi nick. Go out and follow Nick. He's doing loads of great threads on football tactics and how they affect and impact PB scores. If you guys are commuting right now, which I sincerely hope you're not, unless you're an essential worker, then enjoy your commute and hope you stay safe. If you're not commuting, doing whatever you're doing, have a great day. And sorry we didn't get to answer your questions. Last but not least, Football Index is a gambling platform. Only bit where you can afford to lose and stop when the fun stops. And Wash your hands, stay away from people and follow the government's advice for goodness sake. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. Have a great day.